Thanks for watching NTD Business. Coming up, fewer jobs added in September than August. What does this mean for the Federal Reserve's upcoming rate hikes? We have analysis. And the White House denies a report that President Biden wants to ease sanctions on Venezuela in order to purchase oil from the country. What are the potential dangers of doing business with Venezuela? And the United Kingdom saying it will drill for more oil as it faces an energy crisis and possible blackouts this winter. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here. Looks like the fever hasn't broken yet for the U.S. job market. The federal government reports the economy added 263,000 jobs in September. That's slightly higher than what economists expected. While still robust, the headline number marks the second month in a row of decline. Meanwhile, the unemployment rate fell back to 3.5 percent. The labor force participation rate in September ticked down slightly compared to the prior month. While wages continue to show signs of growth. And now here to break down for us the new jobs report is Julia Pollock. She's the chief economist at recruitment platform Zip Recruiter. Julia, good to see you as always. So the last time we spoke, you told me that August jobs report, which was around 315,000, was sort of in the Goldilocks zone. So now at 263,000, are we still in the zone, in that zone? Absolutely. This is still a very big jobs number. It's the smallest since April of 2021, but it is 60% more than the monthly average in 2019 and about five times as much as we'd need to keep pace with population growth right now. The biggest takeaway is that job gains are still very, very broad, that most industries are still contributing gains. Even the most inflation-sensitive, interest rate-sensitive, housing market-sensitive areas, which are seeing a few cuts, are seeing very, very modest cuts. And that suggests that that we're still uh, in in a very strong job seekers market uh, that is creating opportunity, that is reducing unemployment durations. We're not seeing a lot of scarring in the labor force. We're not seeing any measures of sort of hardship tick up. And those uh, leading indicators in the job market, in the the jobs report, uh, like, you know, slackening uh, labor utilization, none of that is happening. labor market is not really ringing any alarm bells just yet about a recession or about growing hardship in the United States of America. But, you know, there's talk right now that good news is bad news, bad news is good news. So is is there anything here in this report that the Fed wanted to see? Well, it's got two of the three things the Fed wanted to see. The Fed wanted to see uh, job growth moderate somewhat, and that happened. They also wanted to see wage growth cooling. And there's evidence, you know, if you look at the sort of three-month average, the longer-term trend, it looks as though wage growth is cooling fairly substantially, uh, especially in leisure hospitality, where workers were getting double-digit wage increases earlier in the recovery. It didn't have something else that the Fed was looking for, though, which would have been an increase in labor force participation. It seems as though the people who've left the labor force because of the pandemic are not really coming back. So we're going to be in a supply-constrained labor market for the foreseeable future, and that will put more upward pressure on wages than the Fed would like to see. And that would put upward pressure on inflation, too, as well, would it? Yes. I mean, the biggest contributor to inflation right now is core services, which is largely comprised of rents and uh, wage growth. So, you know, that that is certainly a concern for the Fed. That said, it's good news for the American worker. Are you starting to see a downward trend in the number of jobs being added? 
Well, you know, on, in Tuesday's JOLTS report, we did see uh, the number of job openings fall by the largest amount outside the pandemic ever, by 1.1 million. That brought the gap between the number of job openings and the number of unemployed people seeking them from more than 5 million to just 4 million. I think the Fed really wants to narrow that gap more substantially so that we don't have this sort of very, very tight overheating labor market anymore and people feel a little bit more you know, sort of circumspect about quitting jobs jobs uh, are not quite as demanding when it comes to renegotiating pay and uh, and asking for raises. And, you know, there, there are signs that, that that is happening in our monthly ZipRecruiter job seeker confidence surveys. Job seekers are becoming a bit more worried about the future availability of jobs and a bit less likely to negotiate, a bit more willing to accept offers. Now, you also mentioned that the Fed wants to cool the labor market a bit, but from where you're standing, are you worried a little bit about that? Well, for now, it looks as though the Fed still has substantial runway ahead of it. Uh, we only would need to add about 55, 60,000 jobs a month to keep pace with population growth. 263,000 is you know, substantially more than that. Uh, so the Fed still has a little bit of wiggle room there. Uh, you know, even if we see the numbers fall to 150,000, 100,000, that's still a, a pretty solid, robust labor market, uh, you know, adding opportunities for people who, who want them. All right. Thank you very much, Julia Pollack, Chief Economist, Zip Recruiter. Thank you for coming today. Thank you so much. On to Wall Street. Stocks fell sharply lower today following the solid jobs report means the Fed is more likely to keep raising interest rates by 75 basis points. The Dow lost 630 points or 2 and 1 tenths of a percent. S&P 500 fell 105 points or 2 and 8 tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq dropped 421 points or 3 and 8 tenths of a percent. The Biden administration is denying that it wants to ease sanctions on Venezuela in return for the country's oil. Earlier this week, the Wall Street Journal reported that the White House was looking to do just that, citing unnamed sources. In today's special report, we take a look at what's at stake when looking at easing sanctions and doing business with Venezuela. Venezuela has the largest oil reserves in the world, so wouldn't putting that oil on the market dramatically lower prices? Well, it's not that simple because the sanctions were imposed for good reason. Geopolitical analyst Irina Sukerman says easing them would be a terrible idea. The ramifications would be disastrous. The reason why those uh, sanctions were there to begin with was in response to the mass corruption and the theft of the resources by the Maduro regime. Uh, they were imposed during the Trump administration and they were meant to preserve the access to national assets by the people for the people of Venezuela in case there ever came a democratic government. Uh, what Venezuela has done uh, with that oil uh, was engage in, uh, in swapping uh, for other assets uh, with Iran and with uh, China, also to a lesser extent with Russia. America has imposed multiple rounds of sanctions in re response to the Venezuelan government's treatment of its people. It has been accused of widespread human rights abuses, corruption, and repression of democracy. Back when Trump was president, he sanctioned Venezuela's state-owned oil and gas company PDVSA. He blocked it from doing business in America and froze $7 billion worth of its U.S. assets. Rolling back these sanctions could enrich their corrupt government. Geopolitical analyst Irina Sukerman says Venezuela would use the money to work more closely with Russia, 
China, and Iran. She says Venezuela has also created a network of operatives throughout Latin America to sell weapons, destabilize governments, and spread anti-American sentiment. The country backs terrorist movements and partners with other anti-American regimes. If they had more money, they could do a lot more damage. But besides the political ramifications, how much would Venezuelan oil lower global prices, if at all? The oil fields in Venezuela are in shambles. They're difficult to access, and all of that is due to years of poor maintenance and neglect. Uh, so that's going to be a task for oil companies such as Chevron to come in and rebuild all of that. That's expensive. That will be all those companies. And uh, if Biden wants to extract that oil, that's also going to be on the U.S. taxpayers to rebuild oil fields for a rogue antagonistic regime, which can very simply uh, refuse to cooperate. So it could take a very, very long time to actually get, get the oil out. In fact, Sukerman believes it may never happen because at some point corruption would disrupt the process. But Sukerman is far from the only one who doesn't want to work with Venezuela. A director at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, Jason Isaac, also says working with it wouldn't look pretty. They've lost the technology. They've lost the brain power. They overtook American-controlled company Chevron uh, and others that were down there, took their operations, took possession of them, uh, and the, the employees left. And so you've got this irresponsibly produced energy source, and they could care less about how uh, the protections that are put in place and how it's produced. And so it's, it could be a disaster from the, the inefficiency because they don't have the brain power, the manpower that we have here in the United States because they've all fled this dictator uh, in Venezuela. Isaac says the United States produces oil and natural gas more responsibly than other countries do. This means that it would be better for the environment, actually, if the U.S. produced all of its own fossil fuels. He believes the only answer to high gas prices is to encourage more domestic production, which it looks like Biden isn't doing. And moving on, Britain is planning to drill for more oil while bracing for potential energy blackouts this winter amid supply disruptions due to the war in Ukraine. NTD Char Marshall has more. The United Kingdom is drilling for more oil. This comes as UK citizens are being warned of the possibility of blackouts up to three hours long this winter in worst case scenarios. The UK government could award oil and gas companies more than 100 new licenses to drill in the North Sea. At the same time, thousands of demonstrators with the Just Stop Oil campaign have been protesting all over Britain, some blocking traffic and committing acts of vandalism. On Thursday, police had to deal with people gluing themselves to roads. BP is also targeting the North Sea and U.S. shale basins to boost oil and gas supplies in the short term in response to the global energy crisis. BP is aiming to cut its oil and gas output by 40%, or the equivalent of 1 million barrels of oil per day between 2019 and 2030, as part of its strategy to slash greenhouse gas emissions and build up a large renewables business. But the company has boosted its spending on oil and gas in 2022 by $500 million in response to soaring energy prices and a supply crunch. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And meanwhile, there are new allegations coming to light on President Biden's son, Hunter. It's possible he could be charged with tax-related crimes as well as for making false statements to buy a firearm. 
NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the charges being considered. According to the Washington Post, the FBI has been investigating the president's son, Hunter Biden, since 2018. They reported federal investigations first focused on his consulting work and business dealings overseas. But now sources say the probe is centered around if he correctly reported his income and for allegedly answering no on a gun purchase form to a question about being addicted to or using illegal drugs. The sources spoke on the condition of anonymity because the case is ongoing. They say after months of gathering evidence, it's enough to press charges. Hunter Biden said in 2020 that his tax affairs were being investigated, but that he handled them legally and appropriately. He paid off a tax bill of about $2 million shortly after that announcement. Hunter says in his recent book, Beautiful Things, a memoir, that he's battled with drug and alcohol addiction for years. That was around the same time he bought the gun. He was discharged from the Navy when he tested positive for cocaine in 2014. Making false statements on a gun purchase form is a felony. In an interview with Fox News, his lawyer Chris Clark noted it's a felony for a federal agent to leak information about an ongoing grand jury investigation. He says they expect the Justice Department to investigate and prosecute whoever leaked the information, and that prosecutors should not be pressured, rushed, or criticized for doing their job. Clark claims he's not been contacted by any federal investigative agents, and that his client is being targeted because of his family name. The final decision is now up to the Delaware U.S. Attorney if charges are filed or not. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. And a Florida official reported that a large number of electric vehicles have burst into flames after being waterlogged by Hurricane Ian. Florida's state fire marshal struck a warning note on Twitter. He said a ton of electric vehicle batteries were corroded by the storm and prompting fires. In one of the videos he shared, firefighters were trying to put out a fire on a roadside electric car. A female voice was heard saying the car was still smoking after being doused with 1,500 gallons of water. Florida has the second highest number of registered electric vehicles in the country after California. These cars catch fire less frequently than gasoline vehicles, but their lithium-ion batteries makes it harder to put the fire out. And Tesla's electric trucks could finally be about to roll off the production line. CEO Elon Musk says the first examples of the semi will be delivered to PepsiCo on December 1st. He originally said the big rigs would go into production in 2019, but the date was repeatedly pushed back due to part shortages. Musk says the vehicles will have a range of about 500 miles. They'll cost about 180000 each, but qualify for a $40,000 tax break. PepsiCo ordered 100 semis back in 2017 as part of efforts to cut emissions. And Elon Musk bought himself some time yesterday after a judge accepted his request to halt the Twitter lawsuit. This allows him to close his proposed $44 billion buyout of the social media company. Now comes the big question. How will he pay for it? Here's the story. Billionaire Elon Musk has until the end of October to figure out how to finance a $44 billion takeover of Twitter. Um, we're talking about Twitter. <laughs> but how is he going to pay for it? Banks, including Morgan Stanley and Bank of America, say they'll loan him $13 billion. Musk will also commit nearly 10% of his stake in Twitter, which is worth $4 billion. Equity investors like Oracle co-founder Larry Ellison and Saudi prince Al-Walid bin Talal are set to chip in $7 billion. But when you factor in Twitter's price tag plus closing costs, Musk is still more than $22 billion short. 
Forbes says his net worth is $219 billion, making him the world's richest person. But a lot of that money is tied up in Tesla and SpaceX. Musk has about $20 billion in cash after selling part of his Tesla stake in multiple transactions, according to a Reuters calculation. Even if all the financing stars align, Musk still needs as much as $3 billion. He could sell down more of his stakes in Tesla or SpaceX, or he could get a bank loan against the stocks or find more investors. Musk has said he doesn't want to sell down his stake in Tesla any further, but given his big reversal on the Twitter deal, some worry he'll go down that road. The goal that, uh, that I have, uh, should the, you know, everything uh, come to fruition with, with Twitter, is uh, to have a, a, a service that is broadly, as broadly inclusive as possible, um, where ideally uh, most of America is, is on it and, and talking. And Amazon is ending testing for its home delivery robot called Scout. A spokesperson yesterday said Scout wasn't completely meeting customers' needs. Trials first began in 2019. Scout was designed to drop off deliveries at customers' homes. The robot was intended to reduce Amazon's carbon footprint. Amazon is becoming more choosy about which projects to pursue as it cuts costs. A smaller team of Amazon employees will still keep brainstorming for concepts for a delivery robot. And Credit Suisse made a major move today to calm down worried investors. The lender says will buy back up to $3 billion of debt. It's trying to reassure investors who are concerned about the lender's overhaul. The bank's future became a hot talking point over the last week. Anticipation is growing that it might need to raise billions of dollars in new capital while its stock and some bonds hit new lows. But key questions remain despite the buyback. Investors want to know more about its restructuring and how much it will cost. This comes as Credit Suisse tries to recover from a string of scandals and losses. And Samsung Electronics' third quarter profit fell 32%. Today's results were worse than expected. Fears of a global recession meant demand was down for electric devices and the chips that go into them. Estimated profits fell over $3 billion from July to September compared to the last year. It was Samsung's first year-on-year decline in nearly three years. Companies and consumers face rising inflation and have cut their spending, while memory chip buyers like smartphone and PC makers have held off on new purchases. Samsung's shares have fallen nearly 30% this year. And the Biden administration is laying down some new restrictions. The rules will limit China's access to American semiconductor technology. The Commerce Department added 31 Chinese firms to its list of unverified companies, including China's top memory chip maker, YMTC. Being on the unverified list means American authorities don't know where a company's products are being used and cannot determine whether these companies can be trusted with sensitive technology exports from the U.S. Because of that, U.S. exporters must apply for additional permission in order to send goods to companies on this list. The measures could amount to one of the biggest shifts in U.S. policy towards shipping technology to China since the 1990s. If effective, they could set China's chip manufacturing industry back years. The U.S. is concerned about the relationship between Chinese companies and the country's armed forces. The fear here is these companies will share American advanced technology with the Chinese military. 
And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. Still to come after the break, inflation is damaging in many ways, but there's always a silver lining no matter how bad things get. And we take a look at a long-awaited trailer for the upcoming Super Mario Brothers movie. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. As inflation rages on and savings dwindle, Americans are stretching their dollars. Many are turning to cheaper alternatives, creating a boom in the secondhand clothing industry. Here's the story. If anything good could come out of the 40-year high inflation, that would be secondhand fashion. According to ThreadUp's 2022 resale report, the used clothing industry is booming. The industry is expected to reach record sales of $43 billion in 2022. Topper Luciani started Good Fair, an online secondhand clothing store, in 2019. He initially targeted young consumers who are conscious of price and the environment. You know, we started out marketing just to Gen Z because of the sustainability aspect of what we're doing. But the data continues to show that... Uh, you know, all dem- all age demographics uh, want used clothes. Demand for used clothing has been uh, really growing exponentially. U.S. consumers are embracing secondhand in droves. ThreadUp estimates that 74% of Americans are open to shopping secondhand clothes. Luciani says low prices make a big difference. You know, the environmental benefits of shopping used is great for some demographic, but Uh, The price benefits of shopping used is also probably even more strong of of a lever for for our customer. Goodfair sells mystery boxes of used sweatshirts and flannel shirts at a much lower price than you'd pay for brand new ones. We sell them in four packs of $30. And so you've got So those sweatshirts new are, uh, you know, $50 $50 on their own. So it's such an enormous percentage that, that they're saving uh, by shopping secondhand. Not only do consumers enjoy the low cost, but most also say thrifting evokes positive emotions and a sense of pride. ThreadUp estimates the U.S. secondhand market will more than double by 2026, reaching $82 billion. And North America is leading this phenomenon globally. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News. Now on to movie news, beginning with a long-awaited trailer that had fans practically breathing fire. Here's the Hollywood Minute. I finally found it. Now who's gonna stop me? More than two million people watched the live stream of the first teaser for the Super Mario Brothers movie. Chris Pratt and Jack Black lead the voice cast of the animated adventure, which bounces into theaters next April. I do not like uh, postmodernism. 
post-apocalyptic settings, post-mortem narrators, or magic realism. I do not like children's books, especially those with orphans, and I prefer not to clutter my shelves with young adult. Kunal Nair says he did like the storied life of A.J. Fikri because the title role was not written for an Indian actor. There was no mention of someone's ethnicity. He was just a person in a, in a small town who owned a bookstore. And again, you know, the way I sound, the way I look, some of those roles are very, those roles are very far and few between. So to have an opportunity to show that I can do something like that was also part of the impetus to play this character. The storied life of A.J. Fickery is in theaters today. Hey, look, if it get dark now, you just ride it, okay? Yeah. Yeah. How do I do that? Here's your first look at Jennifer Lawrence and Brian Tyree Henry in Causeway, about two people helping each other through trauma and grief. The drama debuts in select theaters and on Apple TV Plus November 4th. And that's all from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. You can follow me on Twitter, too. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. That's all for today. Thanks for watching. See you Monday.